You ever get tired of your just boring day-to-day life? I do. I should say I did. Then I decided to do something about it. You see, conventional wisdom says you live your life, you grow up, your parents die, they leave an inheritance for you. That wasn't working for me. I wanted to enjoy that inheritance now, so I decided to do something about it. So one day, I walked straight up to my dad, looked him square in the eye, and I said, Dad, I want what's coming to me right now. That's what my youngest son said to me. At that moment, all I could think of was, I'd like to give what's coming to him right now. But he's my son, and I love him. As much as it put an ache in my heart, I gave him the money, and I told him that he could go search for a life on his own. Not long after that, he packed his bags, and the next thing I knew, (laughs) I was out of there. I had a whole world to see, right? So the first thing I did was, he got lost. My son, I love him, but he's no Magellan. I heard he had to ask for directions at least four times before he even made it out of our hometown. That's not true, okay? Well, it was three times, and one of them doesn't count, okay? Because this guy that was given directions, I didn't even understand the things he was saying. And besides that, the only reason I'm not good with directions is somebody never took the time to teach me. Ah, don't don't go there. It, it, It doesn't matter. Okay? The important thing was, I was out of there. And I was living the life. I had, I had more friends than I knew what to do with. I was eating like a king. I had the finest clothes. And the ladies. <laughs> what can I say about the ladies? How about we not say anything about the ladies? Fine, fine, forget them. Still, the friends, the food, the clothes, it was... It was great, until my son's money ran out around the same time the country hit a recession. It was bad, really bad. Good morning. Welcome to River Community Church. My name is Sam. I'm one of the pastors here. It is so good to be here with all of you. Uh, if you are here for the first time, you're catching this a great day. This is the first day of a brand new series called Prodigal. Uh, maybe you recognize the story that they were just telling and in kind of skit form. We're going to be talking through that all morning long. But this is one of the most recognizable stories in the Bible, the story of the prodigal son. It's a story that's been retold literally thousands thousands of different times in like a thousand different ways. It's, it's been retold over and over again, but, but that's how the prodigal son story begins. It starts with those, those kinds of, of stories. That's how it starts things out, and it's found in the Gospel of Luke. In the Bible, there are four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're all about Jesus, and in Luke is where we find this one. But Jesus, he, he's telling these parables, these stories to illustrate the character of God and kind of the, the situation humans find themselves in. And, and as he's telling this story, he actually uh, tells this story, the prodigal son story, immediately following two other stories that he tells. So he, he starts out with a story about a lost sheep. So he says that there's a shepherd who has a hundred sheep and, and one of the sheep escape and, and get lost. And the shepherd leaves the 99 other sheep to go off and, and find the one lost one. 
Then he tells a story of uh, a woman who loses a, a precious coin, and the precious coin is, is somewhere in the house, and so the woman turns the, the house upside down, essentially, trying to find this coin, and, and eventually he finds the coin, and, and both with the coin story and the sheep story, in both situations, when, when they find the lost item, the lost thing, they, they celebrate, they, they are so excited, they throw a party. And so these are the two stories that immediately precede the prodigal son's story. And and then this verse comes up. It says, to illustrate the point further, Jesus told them this story. A man had two sons. Now this is important because Jesus isn't just talking like around a campfire or something. Like Jesus is telling a story to illustrate a point. It's not just some nice random uh, story to, to have some fun, but every word has meaning. Every word means something. Jesus is telling this story to teach us about ourselves. He's telling the story to teach us about God, and he's telling this parable to teach us about our relationship with God. Now, there's no one in the history of the world who better captures who we are and who God is and our relationship to one another than Jesus. And he begins with this. He starts right away in Luke chapter 15. The next verse that he says, it says, the younger son told his father, I want my share of the estate now before you die. Essentially saying, dad, I wish you were dead. Like, let's start this sooner than than later. So his father agreed to divide his wealth between his sons. A few days later, this, uh, this younger son packed all his belongings and moved to a distant land. And there he wasted all his money in wild living. I love how Jesus tells this story. He is a masterful storyteller. In just three sentences, three simple sentences, he sets up a story that people have spent 2,000 plus years relating to and deciphering and trying their best to understand. I also love how Jesus is just specific enough, like just specific enough, but not so specific that we start to think that this story applies to other people. No, it applies to each of us. For example, he doesn't say that the younger son lost all his money gambling or, or had some situations with women or alcohol or parties. It, it's genius that he just says the phrase, lost it all to wild living. And we can like, fill in the gaps, right? We can imagine what that might be, but this is why. It's because all of us, each and every one of us, have our own form of wild living, we have some way of wanting to get a high. Some kind of thing that, that makes us really feel things. Even if it's just for this, this short little while, left unchecked, no matter what it is, it can grow into this form of, of wild living when taken to the extreme. And that can look a thousand different ways, but most of us know what taking a high to an extreme is like. Imagine this younger son, right? He's out there, he's saying, Dad, I want the money, give me the money, he gets the money, and he just goes wild. It goes off to another place, he's got all this stuff, he doesn't think it's ever gonna run out. And, feeling, and, and, and so he does this because he, he had spent however many years at home, and at home he had just felt so suffocated. He, he had felt so 
constrained by every last one of the boundaries that were in place. These things that, that keep him from, you know, like living his best life. He wants to live his best life and it's just not happening. There's this gravity to it. This thing that just feels like it's weighing him down, bringing him down. So he tries to break free from it. He decides to learn to fly without an instructor, to figure it out on his own. Jesus said he wasted his money. Now, that phrase, it really depends on how you see the term wasted. I bet to this young guy, like that, that, none of that money was wasted. That was used well, right? He, I imagine it was exhilarating first. That money had bought him some ride-or-die friends that felt like they were going to be with him for forever. He was just taking risks and, and narrowly escaping with his life, you can imagine. And when he narrowly escapes with his life, he's like, man, that was amazing. We, we made it out. We're good. And that just added to the thrill of it all. Except the gravity. Gravity has a way of catching up to you. It's like oxygen. You can only hold your breath for so long before you begin to feel the effects and when you waste your money or when you waste your time or you waste your friendships or you waste any resource you might have at your disposal for personal gain, something tends to happen. So Jesus talks about it. He says about the time his money ran out, a great famine swept over the land and he began to starve. He persuaded a local farmer to hire him. And the man sent him into his fields to feed the pigs. The young man became so hungry that even the pods he was feeding the pigs looked good to him. But no one gave him anything. There's this song. Um, when I was growing up, I, I took uh, like two or three years of guitar lessons. And uh, I, after two or three years of guitar lessons, can still only play like one song. Um, but I thought it was appropriate today because there's this one song that I know and uh, you're going to have to help me out with it a little bit. I mean, I've got like a couple little riffs I can do. I can do this one. Oh, messed it up. That's like Santana, but that's not it. Don't worry. Um, so the song that I learned is like the easiest song ever on the guitar, uh, but it's actually off of like the, one of the first CDs. I remember CDs? They were a thing. Um, so I had a CD. It was by Tom Petty, and there was a song on it. My first, first CD, it was Free Fallen. You know what I'm talking about? You know this I'm talking about? She's a good girl, loves her mama, loves horses. In America too She's a good girl You're like, what's happening? Crazy about Elvis Loves Jesus And her boyfriend too Continue with me, ready? And I'm free I'm free falling Yeah, I'm free That's it. Okay. <laughs> now, two things. One, we are gonna, I've kept this secret from Sean for a long time, and we're going to forget that this ever happened. Um, and then secondly, that, now you know how I got my wife to like me. Um, that was it. <laughs> Meg was swooned by a free fall, and it was great. <laughs> but here's the thing. 
Here's the thing, free falling, right? Free, free falling. You can set yourself free from all the boundaries. You can try to escape the gravity of a God who loves you. But eventually, it's going to shift. It's going to shift from this feeling of freedom to free falling. And it will come with a crash, and it'll hurt. Most of us have experienced a moment like that in our lives. It could be from the wild living side of things. It could also be from any time you say, I can do this on my own, God. I I don't need you. I've got this covered. It's fine, God. Don't stress. I don't need you, God. Or or like my three-year-old really likes to say right now, I got this, guys. I got this. It's really cute now. It won't be later. Um, (laughs) the, The gravity of this world will bring you back down to earth. The exhilaration of of free falling will give way to the the terror of it. The question then is, what happens at that all-important juncture, at that crossroads, that that moment between feeling free and, and realizing you are free falling? What do you do then, really? How long do you pretend or ignore it? What happens next is, is so often what happens in life. In the parable, what seems like an awful thing is actually a blessing. The very next thing that happens is, is a famine. It hurried up the process. It, it brought him to his knees faster. It made him realize his need for a home and his need for his father faster than he would have ever without it. Normal life has this knack for bringing us to our knees fast. You have that phrase, and maybe you've said it before, the the phrase, life happens. Have you ever said life happens, right? You can raise your hands. It's okay. Yes, a few of you. You have that moment where you realize life just happens, but if you're willing, if we're willing, when life happens, it's an opportunity that God can use. In the parable, it helps bring him to his senses. Take a look. Money ran out around the same time the country hit a recession. It was bad. Really bad. Really bad. I'd squandered everything my dad had given me, and uh, there wasn't any work to be found. I was about to give up, and then I I found a job. Uh, It was a job as a manager. Okay, it was an assistant to the manager. Fine. I was, a, I was a bacon preparation assistant. A bacon preparation assistant, and which means? I took care of pigs. It was bad. It was really bad. I mean, I had a job, but I wasn't really making any money. I didn't have anywhere to live, anything to eat. I was hungry. There were some days that I was, I was so hungry, I gladly would have eaten the slop that I was feeding those pigs. So it was, it was hunger pains, a constant reminder of how I'd squandered my life away. I, I lived in agony day after day. After day after day, I would watch and I would wait. And my heart would ache, as only a heart can 
from a parent to a child. One day it hit me. One day I, I realized my dad's lowliest worker was living like a king compared to me. So I had an idea. What if, uh, what if he doesn't come back to me? What if he doesn't come to his senses? What if I never see him again? Again and again, these thoughts kept running through my mind as I began my journey back to my father's house. I, I knew what I would do. See, I would go up to him and, and I would humbly just ask him for a job. I, I couldn't expect him to take me back as his son, but maybe he would give me a job, just maybe. Maybe today will be the day. That was the thought that always ran through my mind. Maybe today will be the day that I will be sitting on my porch and I will look out in the distance and I will see my child making his way back home. I didn't know what that word meant until I'd lost it. Now, I couldn't believe I was just a few hundred yards away from it. It was a beautiful day. I was sitting there on the porch, just enjoying the cool breeze. And that's when I saw him. He was sitting on the porch and um, he stood up. He, he looked in my direction and he squinted his eyes to kind of get a better look at me. I, I wondered what he was thinking. I wondered if he would take me back. I wondered if he would just look at me and say, I told you so. When he finally came to his senses, he said to himself, at home, even the hired servants have food enough to spare. And here I am dying of hunger. I will go home to my father and say, Father, I've sinned against both heaven and you. And I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. Please take me on as a hired servant. In every prodigal story, there is a coming to your senses moment. It's that moment when a few things become exceedingly clear. Uninhibited freedom is not freedom at all. It's an express way to a less forgiving master. Wealth, popularity, getting the high success. The reward and punishment system of the world is brutal and unforgiving. Those are not nice masters. God's boundaries, living within the guardrails that, that God provides us with, it looks unbelievably free once you've experienced the chains of this world. Now, did you notice the, the change in him? The demeanor shift, it's, it's hard to miss. It's, it's a transition from entitlement. Dad, I kind of wish you were dead, so give me the money that I've got coming to me so I can go and live my life how I want to. Goes from that to desperate, hopeful, willing to serve, grateful for anything he might be given. 
The gravity of God's love is a gift when you see it for what it is for the very first time. It's like the sound of a, of a rushing spring when winter has finally thawed and you can hear the water coming again. It's like the sound of, of a car pulling in the driveway after way too long away. It's the sound of a, of a first cry of a baby after carrying the baby for so long. It's the very thing you long desperately to hear and experience when you realize you've been living without it. But it's at that moment exactly, it's at that exact moment when you realize how good it is, how amazing and good our God is, it's at that exact moment that you immediately feel most unworthy. That's when the shame of what you've done and where you've gotten yourself to sounds and screams the loudest. You've probably heard the voices in your head at some point in your life, the ones that say, you're not good enough. You've sinned too much. You've made too many mistakes. You've made your bed now, sleep in it. God doesn't love you that much. And you're too far gone. These are the voices that tell you to turn away from God even further, to, to shrink back even smaller into shame. And this has to be the one, the most important reason, one of the most important reasons Jesus tells this story. One of the points he knew he had to communicate in order for it to really sink in. The story is, is one large blinking neon sign saying off in the distance, you're never too far from home. Take a look. He stood up. He, he looked in my direction and he squinted his eyes to kind of get a better look at me. I, I wondered what he was thinking. I wondered if he would take me back. I wondered if he would just look at me and say, I told you so. I told you so. I told you so. Some of you would never believe me, but I knew that he would come back home. I just knew it. I knew this was a bad idea. I, I knew he was going to be angry with me. I, what was I thinking? Every step closer I got to the house, the more I knew I'd done the wrong thing. And so I just I stopped. He just stood there. He just stood there. I couldn't move. I couldn't just stand there, so I... He jumped. My dad jumped off the porch and then he, he started to run I've never seen him run so fast he, he, he was like he was like this kid who was excited about something and then and then I realized he was excited about me so you know what I did you know what I did next I ran I ran my heart was pounding so fast, I just had to get to him. He was running at me with his arms stretched out as if to say, welcome home. Welcome home, welcome home. He was so far off, I just had to get to him, so I just kept running as fast as I could. I, all I wanted to do was just scoop him up in my arms like when he was a little boy, just to let him know that everything was gonna be okay. And as I got closer to him, I could, I could see tears in his eyes. I 
dad was <laughs> my dad was crying tears of joy and you know what my boy did next he jumped <laughs> I couldn't help it I, I jumped right into my dad's arms and you know what he did well I fell backwards he, he's a big boy and then he held me he held me like only a father could I just kept saying to him over and over again, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I don't deserve to be called your son. My son. My son is home. Get him some clean clothes. Get him some shoes for his feet. Let's prepare a meal. No. No. Let's prepare a feast. For my son will no longer live as an orphan. Today we will celebrate, for all my hopes have come true. I guess, uh, I guess it was hope. Hope that kept me going all those days. Hope that my father would show me mercy. Hope that somehow he would take me back and that I could be forgiven. Forgiven. It is all forgiven. It is forgotten. And I will never bring it up again. There is no anger. There is no shame. There is no blame. All that's left is just pure joy. For my child was lost. And now he's found. So he returned home to his father. While he was still a long way off, his father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I am no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet and kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast for this son of mine was dead and has now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. This morning, if you had any doubt about who God is, if you had any doubt about what God thinks about you, if you wondered if you could ever be accepted by Jesus after all the things you've, you felt like you needed to hide or the, the things in your past you can't st stop feeling ashamed of, if you thought your sin was just too big, allow it to sink in for a moment that this is the story Jesus tells. Jesus tells this story. Should I answer? No, I won't answer. Good ringtone, though. <laughs> this is the story Jesus tells. Jesus is giving us this principle of God's love. He's, he's always ready to run to you. 
You just have to turn around and, and receive the grace of Jesus. So the question this morning is, have you turned around? Now, sometimes, because of this story and others, uh, people have this misconception of God. Like God's a, a big softy, right? Like kind of, of weak and just accepts anybody back. No big deal. It, it's all fine. No, no worries. As if you can just do whatever, turn around, and God accepts you. And, and hear me, that's true. God is waiting for you always. But this view, it, it betrays a deep misunderstanding of, of who God is and, and what it's like to experience his, his presence and his love. L- let me tell you what I mean. Now, this last week, uh, I was reading before bed with one of our boys, which please don't get the wrong idea. That's like once in a month that I finally had energy at the end of the night to do so. So this was a rare occurrence. But, but we were sitting and we were reading The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, Chronicles of Narnia, C.S. Lewis, kind of an old classic one. And, and there was this line in there and the story is, is basically an, um, uh, a symbolism of Jesus, right? Like in Narnia is this lion, this lion is Aslan. Aslan represents Jesus. It's a very clear symbolism. But when the kids that are entering into Narnia meet Aslan, the lion, for the very first time, it describes it in this really interesting way. It says this. It says, but as for Aslan himself, the lion... The beavers and the children didn't know what to do or say when they saw him. People who have not been to Narnia sometimes think that a thing cannot be good and terrible at the same time. If the children had ever thought so, they were cured of it now. For when they tried to look at Aslan's face, they just caught a glimpse of the golden mane and the great, royal, solemn, overwhelming eyes. And then they found they couldn't look at him, and they went all trembly. Another page later, when they finally were able to talk with him, it says this, his voice was deep and rich and somehow took the fidgets out of them. They now felt glad and quiet and didn't seem awkward to them then to stand and say nothing. Here's what you need to know. God's grace is fierce. God's love is entirely overwhelming. God's presence is fear-inducing, awe-inspiring. It makes you tremble. It is initially the most frightening place to be. And then, almost instantaneously, it becomes the safest, most right place to be in the universe, inside God's love. So yes, God is always waiting for you there with open arms, ready and waiting for you. But when you experience God's love, his overwhelming, powerful, tremble-inducing love, it, it transforms you, it, it changes you. There is no weakness in it. This past week, a friend of mine from a few years back showed up um, basically at our doorstep here. Uh, life had dealt him some really serious blows over the past number of years. Um, He had uh, made a few mistakes, and he had kind of spiraled into this really hard life situation. And over the course of a few different conversations and, and some work in the background by a number of different people, we were able to get this person some help. But, but here's what I want you to hear. 
life had been tough for a long while for this person, this friend of mine. But there was an event that took place that forced him to need to seek out help. A thing that had happened in life that made it so that he couldn't hold it together any longer by himself. He just couldn't do it. And you know what happened inside of him at that moment when he realized that to be true? In that moment, in that moment, it set him free in the God sense of being free. His life had, had suddenly, because he was willing and able to admit his desperation, his desperate need for help from God, it was set in a new direction with, some, with so much more possibility in it. It was a tough place, but, but it's an exceptionally hopeful place that he found himself in. Like going back to your father's house, willing to be a servant. He's in a good spot now with potential, but because he finally let go of holding it together himself and, and knew he needed God's help maybe more than ever before in his life. Here's the warning in that. If you're in that place, if you're close to that place, will you let it get to that point? Or will you, will you linger there, right? Just hold it together in that place a little longer if you can. Will you wait until it gets so bad that you're just so utterly desperate or will you begin to trust now? Will you give in to the gravity of God's love sooner or later? Will you experience God's freedom because you saw its goodness and chose it, or because you finally realized that that was the only option left? Being part of God's family it's an unbelievable gift. God is the kind of father who throws party for you when you return home. But let me ask you today, do you need a homecoming? You're never too far from home to experience it. And whether you've been away for as long as you can remember or it's, it's just recently that you feel like you've wandered away and you realize you need God's love, hope, and leadership brought back into focus in your life again, we are all having to regularly make the choice like that younger son had to make to make God's love our priority, to return to God's love. Now, now there's an initial moment of making that choice to turn to God's love. It changes everything and ensures an eternity spent with God. Maybe that's you today. Maybe you get to make that choice today. There, there's also a thousand times after that after getting lost in the messiness of this life, we have to remember that initial choice and choose to live that way again to bring it back into focus. Each time it's as simple as a prayer that aligns our hearts, our minds, and our souls with what God wants for us. It's not complicated. It's as simple as turning, praying, letting it sink into your head and heart and deep in your gut that this is the way to live. So this morning, as, as we finish up, that's what I'm going to pray. If you're here and you've never made that choice to follow Jesus, to accept his forgiveness, and to let him lead your life knowing that that's the only place, to, the, the safest place to be within his love, or maybe this morning for you, you've experienced that at some point in your life, but, but it's been hard and you need to turn back to it. And you need to keep that that leadership of Jesus in focus. I'll pray both of those prayers, and if you want either of those things prayed, you can pray these words right along with me. Would you pray with me? 
Dear God, thank you for your love. Thank you that it is so fierce that while frightening at first, it is the safest place to be. So this morning, God, we ask that if anybody here this morning has not made that choice to follow you with their life, that they would do so now. That they would say, Jesus, I accept your forgiveness that you paid for on the cross. I know you've beaten death by rising in that empty grave. I trust you to lead my life. I want to follow you. Help me to do so. I know that you are the one that keeps me safe, that you are the safest place to be. So God, I trust you. I will follow you. Thank you for bringing me into your family. And for those of us, God, who, who haven't, who have already said that prayer many times, maybe at some point in the past, God, we know that sometimes life gets messy. So today we ask that you would bring your leadership back into focus for us, that this week we would grow in our ability to represent you well in every part of our lives. We pray this in Jesus' name, amen.